it's your first time being a guy thing or, you know, we just have to know the right route or we know what's best for us or, you know, we don't want to listen to some navigation because it will strip us from our manhood. Or, you know, I don't know if you're a guy who, like, switches the voice to, like, a, a male's voice because you don't want a woman telling you what to do. I mean, but there's this sense, this, this, there's this tension that I got this. And, and this word right here, it doesn't bother me as much until I see other people use it, right? Or friends or family, my wife. I'm like, my wife's not here, so I can say that. But... um uh, just, just a show of hands, how many of us are prone to, to kind of think this or use this at a time in our lives, right? How many of us see it in our, in our children's lives, you know, in, in our parents' lives, in our spouses' lives? You don't have to raise your hand on that one. But, but isn't there this, like, this, this thing that we deal with that, that, that we feel that we, we, we have to know, we, we have this desire for control, to be capable this, for this, this feeling that we have that, you know, this attitude, I, I got this. I know better. I can handle this. And, and, and I don't know if it's something in us that, you know, just wants to prove our independence or, or we just have to be, have control of things. But I, I'm going to show some uh, kind of some examples here. And I'm not calling people out or anything like that. But these are kind of some funny examples. Maybe uh, where you have control issues. If you're the type of person at, at your home you like struggle for the remote control. Maybe you have a control issue. I know for me, this was big in high school. My, my grandfather, he, he used to, uh, he lived with us for like two years in high school. And um, we only had a TV in the living room. So he would sit down for hours watching like Perry Mason. And it was like some marathon that always was on or Matlock. And so what I would do is um, I would wait till he's asleep to like try to get the remote from him. and so. Uh, early in the morning, I, I would wake up and hide the remote control. I know it's bad if my grandfather's watching. I apologize. I'm just being open. I mean, I had a control issue. I, like, I wanted to see it before he did. Or, or maybe, this might offend some people, maybe if, you, if you're the type of person who has to, like, label things all the time, maybe it's your food or clothing or maybe you're a parent who does that, well, maybe you have a little control issue. Or if, this one's a funny one. If you're a t- person, you always have to have their dog on a leash. Or, or better yet, their kid's on a leash, right? Well, maybe you have a control issue. And before you start, like, feeling bad about yourself, you know, I, I kind of get this. You know, we have this desire to have control. There's this need to, to have control. And there's a good reason why. Because we like to have certainty, right? We want to have certainty in our life rather than uncertainty, you know, I, I like to, to know that things are getting done. People are getting things done. Like when I take my car to get worked on, like I, I want to make sure it's getting done, right? Correctly. There's a sense of certainty I want. I'm the type of person, literally, I have my calendar planned for like the next six months because I want a certainty. I want structure. I want a level of certainty rather than uncertainty. You know, I, I want to feel powerful rather than vulnerable. And I don't mean like powerful, like telling people what to do, lording over people, but I don't want to feel weak. I don't want to feel vulnerable. And so there's a sense that we want to have this control. And I want to be independent, right? Let me go back here. I want to be independent versus dependent. I don't want to depend on people for rides or for, for, for people to pay my bills. 
You know, I, I want to have this sense of dependence. We all do, right? Again, I'm not knocking on people. I mean, you think about it. From, from, from a, 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 being a child, you know, we, we were, in a sense, our parents used to, you know, brought us, took care of us, fed us. So we had this level of being dependent. And then we transition as we get into adulthood to being independent. And so there's this sense we, we, we don't want to feel weak. We don't want to feel vulnerable. But when you look in the Bible, God, he wants us to surrender our lives to him. He wants us to be dependent on him. And I get that to some sense. You know, I, I get that, I, you know, especially when it comes to my salvation. Now, I want to trust that I'm depending on God. I'm going to get there, you know. But when it comes to my finances, I got to surrender that too. When it comes to my marriage, when it comes to my, my feelings, really? My anger? I got to surrender all that too. And so there's this tension that we have that we, 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 it's hard to surrender. And then something happens in our lives, doesn't it? Maybe it's our health or maybe it's a, a relationship that de- deteriorates. Business goes under. Your kids go into a direction that you could, couldn't even imagine them going into. And you start to realize, maybe I don't have so much in control than I thought. What do you do with that? I don't know if you know this. Um, some people know this, but, you know, if I struggle with migraines. I have, like, severe migraines attacks. And it's not a cool thing to talk about. It really isn't. You know, when, like, someone, like, breaks their arm, they have, like, a cool war story. They can, you know, sign their arm. No one signs your head, you know? And so there, there's literally times where I would wake up, and it was just, it would be so tough to get out of bed. I mean, this year alone, I, I've been to the ER twice. And I, and I have friends in my lives that try to help me out, that, you know, hey, you know, I think maybe it's your diet. I think you, you need to work on that. Or, you know, maybe even, you know, working out, I think that would be good. And I'm like, ah, I got this. Don't worry. You know, I've been, I've been doing this. I've been having headaches all my life. And then I find myself in the ER, and I'm like, I can't control this. I'm like, somebody help me. God help me. I mean, this is not like some maybe idea. This is my life. This is our life. And so there's this transition to where, you know, I got this or like, I don't got this. Because clearly I can't control this. And so what we're going to do is, you know, there's this struggle of control. We're going to look in the Bible of Genesis. So if you have your Bible, feel free to go to Genesis. This, this struggle for control you know, I, I wish it would be more of like a sin thing to use that as an excuse. Well, it's just a sin. But, but this struggle for control existed before even sin existed. I mean, this struggle for control existed in the beginning of humanity. And, and so in Genesis, how many people are familiar with Genesis? You know, the creation story. Okay. Some of you guys, Adam and Eve, right? You know, so... It, the, the, here's the challenge. Because we're going to look at this scripture and automatically you're going to think, I got this. I've heard this before. And one of the g- biggest barriers of actually knowing something is believing that you actually know it. And so we're going to be like, yeah, 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 I got this. I've read this before. And so I, I just want you to imagine just reading this for the first time. Here's why. 
Because I want you to imagine reading this in this tension of this lens that we have, this tension of control between God and what we want for our lives. And so literally in Genesis, the, the book of Genesis means the book of origin, the beginning. And so in chapter one, there's this kind of refrain poem that God goes and says, he creates and says, it is good, it is good, and it is good. And then you get into chapter two, we get, he goes into some detail, and, and we're gonna go to chapter two, verse eight. And it says, now the Lord God planted a garden in the east of Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. It says, the Lord God made all kinds of tree grows out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. And so God, he, he, you know, he, he creates this beautiful garden called Eden. It's called delight. That's what Eden means. It means delight. For Adam to meet his needs. It says that God, it says, in the middle of the garden, God, in the middle of the garden where the tree of, was the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So literally in the middle of this garden, there's two trees. And this is very symbolic. There's, there's this tree of life. And then you have this tree of, of the knowledge of good and evil. And it says, it says, the Lord God took the man, he put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. And so literally God gave Adam some responsibility, some control to, to, to work. And then he, he says, he says, the Lord God commanded the man, he says, you are free to eat from any tree of the garden. So there's a sense that God gives Adam a, a sense of freedom. He says, but you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. And so there's two trees. And here, he says, there's this tree of life, God says, for Adam. This tree that sustains eternal life. And if you read, and if you go, we don't have time to read it, but if you go on in Genesis chapter three, after the fall, it says that the angels were guarding this, this tree that sustained eternal life. It says then there's this other tree right here, this tree of good and knowledge. And he says if you, if you eat from this tree, this tree will bring death. He says if you eat from it, you will certainly die. So God, hopefully you can see it like that. There we go. So God gave Adam two choices, two paths, two trees. Think about it. And here, here's the dilemma. He, he says, this tree over here, if you eat from it, you're gonna die. This, that's the dilemma. This, there's consequences from eating from this tree. It brings death. And so what happens, and again, we, we, it kind of gets better. Kind of the story, you know, Adams, he's roaming in this animal kingdom. And again, there's this refrain poem, it is good, it is good, it is good. And finally, God said, there's something that's not good. And he says, he says, the Lord said, it is not good for the man to be alone. And all the men said, amen, right? Yeah, yeah. He says, I will make a suitable helper for you. Now, this word suitable helper doesn't sound like, like an administrative assistant or something. Like, I created like the most important dude here, but I, you know, I have this like person who's gonna help out around 
And so th- this word, I mean, the English kind of Bible kind of explains this kind of like, says this horribly, because in Hebrew, this word suitable helper is the word azir. It means rescuer. So, 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 and all the ladies said, amen, right, right, right there we go, okay. So, so when, when it, give me an example, let's say in Psalms, when David, it, it calls uh, God his, his, his rescuer, that's the word, azir. And so God is looking out for Adam and his behalf. He says, I'm going to create a rescuer, a companion for him. Goes on and he says, uh, well, in the story, Adam, you know, he goes to sleep and he's, there's a sense of he has no control. What God does, he takes a rib out of Adam, creates this rescuer, this companion on his behalf. And Adam doesn't like freak out or get angry or anything. He actually is excited. He says, he says, this is now bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She should be called woman, for she was taken out of the man. He says, that is why a man leaves his father. He leaves his mother. He leaves his Xbox, right? And is united to his wife. And, and they become one flesh. It says, it, it says that the... The man and wife were both naked and they felt no shame. I mean, this is important here. They're, they're naked and they're unashamed. There's a sense of complete vulnerability. There's a sense of que- uh, like complete equality that they have. You know, but that kind of like lasted for like two chapters because like in chapter three, they just kind of messed this thing up, right? Yeah. And so there's this serpent Says now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animal the Lord God had made. And he says, he, he says, Did you really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the tree in the garden, but God said, You must not eat from tree from the from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. And you must not touch it, or you will die. Get this. This Eve was crystal clear. It wasn't like a mistake or she fell into it. She was crystal clear in God's instruction. What not to do. And so the, the serpent, he says, he says, you, you won't certainly die. The serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from, from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good from evil. Then the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom. And she took some. She ate it. And so here's the temptation. We come over here, and sometimes we think that we know better. Ah, you know what? Sometimes we think we know better than God. And all these warning signs are there telling us. And then it says the woman, she took some, and she ate it. And what she did after that, she, she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. And what happened was, it says, then the, the eyes of both of them were open and they realized that they were naked. And, they were, and so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. It says, then the man and the wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Now, this is interesting, and we all know this. Okay, so there's this tree, 
and there's this fruit of the tree, they're, they're told not to, to eat from it. And, and what's fascinating is that when they sin, they don't like go rob a bank or something. They get into an argument, right? And they hide from God. And God's like, well, okay, well, where are you guys? And Adam's like, well, this wife that you gave me, it's her fault. I mean, no one teaches him to say that, right? And the woman, she's like, well, that serpent in, in the garden, well, it's, it, it's his fault. And so what God does is pretty amazing. Interesting enough, what he does as an act of mercy, God curses the ground. So he, it would make life difficult for us to be apart from him. I mean, get this, he does this, I mean, this is very epic. He does this as an act of mercy. The idea is that the, the man was to find significance and, and meaning and, and purpose in working the ground, but God curses that. And then that, this relationship that, that they have, just like the woman says that the woman was, came from the man and that the woman would be driven back as well. To, rather than finding meaning, purpose, and significance just in that relationship, she's driven back like the man to find meaning, purpose, and significance with God and to take that control away. I mean, you get this, he did this as an act of mercy, knowing our rebellious hearts. And so it goes on, it, 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 you know, he, he, he tells the women, or the women, he tells the woman, he says, I will make your pain in childbearing very severe. And all the mom said, yes, unfortunately that's true, right? It says, with painful labor, you will give birth to children. And get this, this is very important here right here. It says, your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. Now this word right here, desire, this doesn't mean like sexual desire. It doesn't mean like, you know, I'm hungry, give me some Haggadahs ice cream or something. This, this word desire is literally parallel to Genesis 4, 7 when it talks about sin's crouching at your door. It's desire to, to, to master you. And so this word desire means to, to master, to control. And this word right here, to, to rule over, the husband will rule over the wife. It, it, it means that to, to subjugate and to dominate. I mean, was this what God intended when he created everything? No. Remember, absolute equality, vulnerability, a sense of just of this freedom. But under the fall, male and female relationships are, are, have this struggle of control, this struggle for power. And so one of the first things you realize after kind of you outlast your honeymoon is that you married a sinful person, right? And they married one too. And, 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 and relationships, why the number one arguments is about sex or control outside of God, those are power issues. There's, those are control issues. And, and so what happens is, you know, Genesis 1 opens and Genesis 2 opens with this, this incredible picture of intimacy, equality, this vulnerability. But under the fall, you know, instead of vulnerability, there's blaming and arguing and, and, and fighting and this ultimate picture of, of control of power. And that's so, not the way that God intended it to be. And so the predominant way of the, the man is, is to be subjugated and to dominate. And the prominent response for the woman is to, 
to control, master, and fix. Again, that's not what God intended to be, but that's how it is, however. Here's why we, we, we go through this whole story, just going through the scriptures and just talking about it. I mean, you think about this. Isn't this relatable? Huh? I mean, let's just, just change the names and just make it general. Let's just put ourselves in the, in the middle of it. Right? Where, where you feel like, I, I got this. The struggle where you feel like, okay, God's absent in my life. I know what's better. And, and I understand the consequences. And then what happens is you make that mistake and you just want to blame people. You want to blame God. And then it comes to, but you're left with those consequences. I mean, this, this struggle of humanity, this struggle of control was from the beginning, but yet it's in our lives as well. And so, you know, there, there's this tension that we have from the very beginning in this garden, this choice of life and this choice of death, which really is just a choice of who you can trust. If you think about it, right? I mean, that's what, that's what it comes down to. Who can I really trust? And so what do you do with that? Well, before we go into what do we do with that, I do want to talk about one objection out there. And there's many objections, but this one objection, and, and I see it, I see it with, with us, and maybe you might be new here, but there's this objection out there that you, you feel like, well, you know, I, the church or God, I, I just don't want to do this because I don't want God to control me. I don't want God to control my, my finances. I, I don't want God to control my, my relationship. I just don't want God to control my life. But here's the thing. I think if God wanted to control you, he would have created you in that. But he didn't, did he? And so what it comes down to, if we want to surrender, it really comes down to is who's trustworthy? Who, who can we trust? Literally, the process of surrendering control begins by deciding who we can trust. And we know this, right? We don't, like, let anybody watch our kids. We don't let anybody, like, take care of our finances or drive our car. I mean, we know this, but, the, again, there's this tension that we have of defining who, who, who is trustworthy. And so we often think, like, okay, if I can just get control of blank, then I can be more happy. If I can get control of, of this, then my, my life would be so much better. And then if I can con get control of blank, whatever, whatever blank is for you or whatever blank is for, for Adam and Eve, I mean, what it comes down to, whatever I can get control of blank comes, we hover around this. If I can't get control of this, then my life would be better. And what happened again, there, there, there's consequences. You know, the, the, and we know, and sometimes we're like, okay, there's consequences. And there's, there's a proverb that says, there's a way that seems right to a man, but leads to death. There's a way that leads, that seems right for a man, but ends in death. And so something happens again in our lives where we want to feel like, yeah, I'm in control. 
You know, I, I don't want to feel weak. I don't want to feel dependent. And then situations happen again with our health, finances, our business goes under, tanks. Kids take off. She leaves, he leaves. And then you start to realize, maybe I feel weak, I feel dependent. You start to feel this stuff and you realize that I am. I am weak. I am dependent, I am vulnerable. And so, I just want you guys to think Think about this. If I had control of blank, if I, if I had control of whatever blank is, if I had control of this, this will make me happier. If I had control of this, my life would be so much better. You, you have to figure out what, what blank is for you. But, but once you figure that out, I, I wanna ask a question. Why can't God be trusted? You know, some of us are not even willing to even ask that question. Some of us haven't even asked that question to ourselves. And so we're not willing to trust God in our finances, in our marriage, in relationships, in our, in our business. But we've never asked that question, why can't God be trusted? I mean, is he not capable? Is he not smart enough? Is he not in touch? And if he can't be trusted, then who can? Is it you? Is it somebody else? Because again, there's this tension where there's, there's a struggle that from the beginning in the world, starting in the very beginning, where, where there were true, two trees, two paths, two choices. And God has given you and me those choices. He's given you and me those choices. Think about it. But he wants us to choose to trust him. And so as we head into communion, I just want to end it with this. I, now I heard this, this quote on Friday. And I was like, I got to use this. It, it, the quote was, is that we want to change the world, but we don't want to change ourselves. And there's this tension. We don't want to change ourselves, but... The process of changing ourselves to surrender really comes down to surrendering to God and surrendering to the cross. And so I just want to leave you with this as, as I pray. I mean, why can't you trust God? Why can't you surrender? And if, you, if there's areas in your life, I encourage you to learn to trust God. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you so much just from a lesson that we can learn thousands and thousands of years ago about this control of struggle, this need for trust, God. And I really pray that we can learn to trust you more. We can learn to, to, to surrender to you more. Help us in our areas of our lives where we feel weak and dependent. I really pray that we, we can learn to even, even ask for forgiveness in our lives. Thank you so much for everything you provided for us. Thank you so much for the, the fact that you died for us. It's in your son's name I pray, amen.